God. A bulwark never failing. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Kay is uh, sorting through her reading for the sermon. <laughs> Time here. How many novels have you read during the sermons over the years? Two of it. Okay. I'm going to take a quick survey. Uh, uh, There's a good group of people here uh, today. Yeah, new clothes on, pretty much. Hair is combed. Uh, um, just raise your hand if you are righteous. Apostle Paul says, those who have faith in Jesus are righteous. Raise your hand if you're righteous. <laughs> you have just participated in Reformation truth. Righteousness not on my own, but because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. His righteousness in me reconciles me to God, and I am righteous. What feels better to have your hands in your lap when you hear that question? How many are righteous? Oh, I could have gone a little further. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why, why aren't you righteous today, Larry? What, what's going on? Because Nancy, Nancy told him that he wasn't righteous. Okay. Let's see, blame, that's a carnal sin. I always, men have done that all along. She gave me the apple to eat. Mm. I felt better to have your hands in your lap. No, I'm not righteous. Or, I have faith in Jesus, his righteousness is in me, in the life I now live, I live in Him. I am righteous. Did that feel better? Yeah, redeemed, child of God, forgiven. It wasn't Martin Luther, Luther's idea. The Apostle Paul wrote about it. Reinhold Niebuhr said, most of the changes in the church, the reformation in the church, Reformations in the church have had not come about by, by new ideas that have, that have come to the church, but by existing truth that is rediscovered and taken seriously and joyfully and pursued with more faith. And that's kind of what happened 500 years ago. And central in some of those reformations that happened was that very question Martin Luther struggled with it in his person and he struggled with it on behalf of, of the people of God in the church and he struggled with it on behalf of the world. How can I attain righteousness? How can I be right with God? How can I know that uh, God knows me and loves me and wants to be involved in my life? All those things that are dimensions of righteousness. How can I have peace with God? Romans 3. Apostle Paul. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, he speaks to us who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, but now, but now, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some theological terms in there, justifies, justifies. I always think of just as if, when I see and read and hear justifies, just as if. In the vernacular of our culture and of our day, it would be, be a, a theological sense of saying, we're cool. Everything's all right. You're okay. Come on in and sit next to me. I want to have a cup of coffee with you. Are we good? We're good. Just as if I had never sinned just as if I had never sinned. We grew up with the song, uh, I Believe in Yesterday. Yesterday my trouble seemed so far away, and I believe in yesterday, and I don't remember the rest of the lyrics, but man, that, that sentiment sure has been in my life many times. Uh, oh, if only I had not done that, or if only I had done that, how much different things would have been. I, I transgressed, I, I, I did something wrong and bad. I hurt someone, I participated in, in some kind of activity or, or some, some kind of corruption that, oh, I feel bad about that, I feel bad about myself, I, what I did, or, or the things that I could have done. I missed that opportunity to... Uh, to be a better person, I missed that opportunity to serve someone. I missed, oh, I should have said this instead of that. Man, that's a lot of baggage to carry around. Just in one day, you're going to accumulate a whole bunch. And by the end of the day, maybe, maybe you, maybe you know, you know someone who physically is, how was your day? Oh, it's okay, don't ask. <laughs> Stumbling through the door and kicking the dog and kids run and living out in your soul and in your behavior what has 
been the sinfulness of your day, the transgressions and the omissions that you have had in your day. Without somehow dealing with that, with somehow not getting back to that state of justification, just as if I never sinned. The burden can only increase and become an infection of, of soul and life and behavior. Until a whole family, a neighborhood, a church, a region, a nation comes so far from God. So if anyone would call out, anyone out there is righteous? Everyone looks at their feet. No, no, no not righteous. I'm not, I'm not right related. That's another synonym for righteousness. Right relationship. And right relationship with the people in my life, right relationship with, with the one holy, true God. I'm not right. I'm not right. The Word of God talks about the Israel people. They were set apart. They're chosen, but they struggled with righteousness. They wandered from the worship of the one true and living God. Jesus answered correctly when he said, that's the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God, God's God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And they functioned with, uh, with symbolic things. To them, they were sacramental things, perhaps, uh, like slaughtering, slaughtering animals, living things, to substitute for sacrificing maybe their own children that other, uh, other societies were doing. Human sacrifice, blood for life, atonement, they called that. It's in the text from Romans 2. You can kind of pull that word apart and it is the meaning of it. At one meant. At one meant. To be unified, to be at one again with God. The holiness of God. To be in right relationship with God. God saying, we're good. We're good. Let's be together. But maybe the, the people of God have always, have always had to be vigilant and remind themselves and search the scriptures, the word of God, as the authority, as a place where they encounter living truth, living truth about themselves, about their own unrighteousness, the way Paul pointed out to the Romans, and then also the way to righteousness, the way to right-relatedness. To come face-to-face -face again in the different situations and ages of our lives and states of our wisdom and the states of our security, insecurity, states of our, our faith. Say, I am unrighteous on my own. I'm so limited, I am wretched. I have inadequate resources to be in right relationship well, with God for sure. And then as we grow a little older, you start to realize, oh, it's not only that, it's, it's everything around me. I cannot be in right 
really right relationship with anything around me except for another source, another source of power. Another source that uh, that not only cancels but forgets those transgressions and thereby pinching off, thereby dissolving the power that they have over me so that uh, I am free, I am liberated to walk in the newness of life as if I've been, as if I've been born again. Martin Luther's struggle with his own righteousness brought him to that sense of the necessity for repentance. That was one of the issues in the church at that time that troubled him so deeply, and it was on the 95 theses that he nailed to that door was indulgences, and it had to do with repentance and forgiveness. In order to be forgiven, well, I don't know, that's a pretty... Uh, Pretty awful sin that you committed, the priest might say to someone who is confessing. Very stylized, a confessional booth, a, a priest. Maybe you still see some of those things in some Catholic churches. The thing happens more informally, more corporately, more personally in Protestant churches. Well, maybe if you, uh, let's see, maybe if you put a hundred bucks in the basket by the door, I, I think. I think you can be forgiven of that. Uh, wait a minute, you got a new car. Let's make that 200 bucks and, and you'll really be forgiven and uh, we get new carpet for the church too. And you can see how money corrupts and how, how the church at that time around that issue became more and more corrupt. Or, or what's that? You feel, you feel sorely tempted? You feel sorely tempted to, uh, uh, to go a couple towns over and participate in some kind of really wild party that's going on. I think that there's a commandment against that. And, uh, um, well, you know, uh, you are human, and, uh, uh, and boys will be boys. Uh, uh, you know, maybe if, maybe if you left, uh, you know, uh, a gas gift card on my desk. I think that would be all right with the Lord. And I think he would look the other way. Another kind of indulgence. You know, go ahead. Get that out of your system. Uh, but let's just not tell anyone about it, all right? So those kinds of things, you know, were practices that were developing. And, yeah, that really... It really developed the soul of people, and, and that really uh, built up the buildings and the, the coffers of the church at that time, made it more powerful in the world in that way. But if the pastor or the priest would have asked, who is righteous in a worship service? No one really would be able to raise their hand. The truth of God coming to them in Jesus and by faith in Jesus that there is righteousness had been covered over, buried, lost. So provisional that 
that it was out of touch and out of reach. But the Word of God is stronger than anything that humans can devise to, to compromise it. And it brings us into relationship with God. Eugene Peterson said, now he, he's a more recent reformer. Just in the last decade, he wrote that one of the risks in our own time as people who have access to the Bible is that we use the Bible as a tool. I read that. I said, what's wrong with that? It's a pretty good tool. I like tools. He said, we, we go and buy a Bible or we're given a Bible and we think, oh, I own this Bible. It is mine and it is a, it is a tool for me and I can... Uh, I can find out about God and I can learn some, learn some things. I can, uh, I can even work on my, my faith and my religion. It is a, a tool. I can underline some things and I can uh, have some mastery of it the way I would master other kinds of tools. It is one of many tools in my life and uh, it's an important tool. And then the next paragraph that he wrote, it said... Oh, it is not a tool. It is where the living truth of God abides. When you handle this, you are handling fire. You are handling power. You are handling righteousness. I feel like putting gloves on when I'm holding this Bible. We receive this Bible the way that we know it, largely also as a product of the Reformation. The canon as we have it was being formed in the, in the years following that Reformation and, and it was more aligned with that, with that truth of how do we come to God? How do we find fullness of life? How do we how do we find acceptance with the one true and holy God? How can we live with ourselves? How can we have peace with God? It is through Jesus the Christ, through faith in him. And these are the witnesses that align with that. These are the places where you can learn about it, but mostly where God can come to life and you can come to God's life. It is more than a tool. In the bulletin are uh, a few phrases he's been turning up in as we think about our cultivating our witness from Sunday to Sunday. I trailed them down and they are uh, English translations of the, of the five themes that have traditionally been associated with uh, Luther's Reformation. The top three are, are the most well-known, but there are actually five. We just talked about Scripture. Sola Scriptura in Latin. Only Scripture. Only grace. It's by grace you have been saved, not through works. Ephesians 2.10 is, is one of the wings that uh, articulates that very Clearly, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. 
That's a grace word, gift. Not the result of works, of efforts, of good credit, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The good works follow after we are saved by grace through faith. Only scripture, that's the authority, only grace, that's the gift of God, only faith, that is the, our acceptance, our decision, our action to receive that grace. And then only Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then only to God be glory. The final two are kind of ones that, uh, that radiate even further into our life together. Only Christ, the relationship with God in Christ. Paul would write to the Corinthians, For in Christ, God reconciled the world to him, holding the world's guilt not against us, but in effect making a bridge, reconciling us to him. His holiness, my words, to our need, to our condition. And so then what do we do? How then shall we live? Jesus gave the answer to those who questioned him about the greatest commandment. It was a bonus answer. He didn't, they didn't ask, uh, what are the two greatest commandments, Jesus? But he gave them a bonus. He said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I confess that in myself, I said, well, that, you know, that's, a, that's the second greatest commandment. It's kind of a, it's kind of, kind of a, uh, it's kind of a subordinate one. It's kind of, if you get around to this, love the neighbor yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, Jesus revealed that they, they are together. That as you love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and strength, you also will love your neighbor as yourself. That is a dimension of righteousness. That is, we're made right with God as, oh, I'm righteous because I have faith in Jesus. Jesus' righteousness cleanses me from sin. It makes me want to repent, to turn around day by day, to stay in right relationship with God. But in itself, you can feel the selfishness, the self-centeredness start to uh, sprout up again. It's our human condition. Loving our neighbor as ourselves cures that. And also, it is to be a life that is led outwardly. Who is my neighbor? Anyone who is in need. Anyone whose life intersects with mine. And to love them better, I need to love myself better. And it becomes a reciprocal kind of life with God and with creation, with neighbors, with others. It becomes the church. A dynamic. Covenant Companion had uh, an article about the Reformation and uh, uh, those other three things that I listed there, they're right out of the article that, uh, that traced a little bit of, uh, of the Reformation as we talk about it today, the anniversary, but then, but then also how the Covenant's theological roots reveal the, uh, 
heart of Reformation and hope for the church today. There's three things here. I, I named them thesis number 96, 97, and 98. They're kind of takeaways maybe as we have cracked open that topic of the Reformation, reviewed some of its central pillars and, and immortal things that it's given to us. But as we go forth as the covenant church, as we are part of the, the Reformation and the distinctives that, uh, that we enjoy as, uh, as a people, we can think about come to the Bible as an altar where one meets the living God. As we've talked about, what do we have here? This is the authority. The covenant church is not a creedal church. We go over this in membership classes. Most other churches, maybe, maybe not, uh, have creeds that, uh, you need, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Maybe sign on a dotted line somewhere. The Covenant Church um, was part of a movement that even went beyond those creeds and said the creeds are valuable, the creeds express truth, but they are not the same authority as Scripture. It is in the Bible and is accessible to all. And through its discussion, through mutual interpretation, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that's where we meet the living God. The Reformation spirit we're talking about today invites us to come to the Bible. And I hear I am going to meet the living God. There my righteousness will be made more glorious and, and more secure. There I will come to terms with my own gaps in my response to that. There I will have a glimpse of the good works that God has ordained beforehand for me to do. There I will get insights from the living God about how his people are to behave and, and what they are to be doing as they link with God's work throughout the ages and in the universe. Or thesis 97, live out your faith and love of neighbor. Oh, wait a minute, we covered that already. That that's what it looks like, and it is less and less of a decision, more and more of an instinct. It is something you cannot not do after a while because, because Christ abides in you, and because by faith I received grace, I have ex been accepted by God because of Jesus, and therefore I will lead with acceptance. I will learn how to love my neighbors. Or thesis 98 Form yourself and others for Christian unity. It's not as evident, is it? But we practice that in our worship together as we pray together, as we sing together. We form unity as we uh, listen to one another. And, as, and in good listening, we not only learn something about what's going on in another person's life, but we actually absorb, absorb some of their distress and also celebrate with them. We live out what Paul admonished the believers in his day to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's not just a tool of relationship, it is a holy practice. It is a way that God is in us. It is an aspect of our 
righteousness. And in that way, we are unified with each other so that we miss each other when we're not with each other. Dave has been worshiping. We chatted in the narthex a little bit. I think this is maybe the fourth Sunday he's been here, maybe the last, because I brought him up in a sermon now. <laughs> but uh, say, hey, we missed you, Dave. Good to see you. He wasn't there last Sunday. Um, wasn't here last Sunday. And, and Dave said, yeah, yeah, my mother-in-law told me that, uh, that you were asking about me. And he said this, it was nice to be missed. He said, yeah, yeah, we miss you when you're not here. That's, that's unity. That's unity. That uh, It's not a tool of relationship. What should I be doing to care for and think about Jesus? I just can't help wondering where people in my life are. Gifts. You individually are grace to me. Gifts to love, to care for. Gifts for me to be accountable to you and to act in ways that would not disappoint you, but make you happy and joyful. It is the pleasure of God to be forming us in that way. And as we accept that as part of our righteousness that God gives to us in Jesus, then we find that our relationships resemble his relationships in the Gospels. And we find that we are interested in making them that way finding ourselves more joyful and more full of peace and more in line with God God had intended for humanity and for each one of us in our individuality. Well, I should nail these at the door too, maybe here. We can talk about them some more. That would be a very Reformation thing to do, to keep discussing and talking. And in that way, learning and glorifying God only. Amen. Amen. Let's sing one foundation. The church is one foundation. That's a wonderful hymn. Kind of in the same genre as uh, a mighty fortress is our God and uh, but also full of faith and piety and it reminds us the source of our righteousness. 579. Let's stand as we prepare to go forth. <clears throat>